Hello and welcome back to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees and their Multicultural Mess and Secular Scam. So we're going to continue the second episode for today. It, we are still Monday, uh, the first Monday of the week, and um, we're going to continue to what we started on, modern Middle East, America and the Muslim Brotherhood. So. We stopped at uh, basically the uh, 1979 Iranian Revolution. Uh, we'll continue with um, the same topic, the post-1980 Iran-Iraq War. So through their proxies, Iran and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, um, conflict continued uh, and they these two countries continue to maintain tensions and incited chaos and hate. Just as when you put the brakes on on a speed train, uh, it will take. It still takes up time to stop. It will go quite a distance before coming to a screeching halt. Thus, Iraq founded itself damaged by war, a fourteen billion dollar debt taken over for the war, and an Iraqi president now drunk with power and praise from almost all of the planet least the Sunni Islamic world. His Sunni ideological family and Western world who supported him never shared the bill for the war, however. But embodied with his ego, he tried his hand at his own version of power to widen the Iraqi uh, border. This led to the eventual even, uh, invasion of Kuwait from the 2nd of August 1990 to the, se to the 4th of August uh, 1990, resulting in a seven-month occupation of the Emirate of Kuwait. There are, were other factors in, in relation to the oil uh, and his accusations of Kuwait stealing Iraqi oil reserves. This time, the majority of Islamic and non-Islamic world with few exceptions like Yasser Arafat, uh, Fatah Party supported the US and her coalition. The coalition was praised for taking care of Saddam Hussein so swiftly. The Allies went back home pretty quickly as heroes, but that was not the end of the story. As the war was over, at a rally in Massachusetts, the US President Bush Sr. gave a rousing speech. There, there's another way for the bloodshed to stop. Uh, sorry, there's another way for the bloodshed to stop. It is for the Iraqi military and the Iraqi people to take matters into their own hands and force Saddam Hussein, the dictator, to step aside. While he will not, while he did not expect a full-scale Iraqi uprising, the Kurds to the north and the Shiites to the south of Iraq took his words to the heart and rose up against Saddam Hussein. They were then subjugated for a very long time by Saddam. Uh, um, they had been subjugated for a very long time by Saddam, and they wanted to rebel. The revolt began on March the first, nineteen ninety-one. The Saddam's Republican army divisions in the south and north rose up to crush any rebellion. Desperate for help, the Kurdish and Shiites leader begged the U.S. to help, but Bush and Colin Powell wanted the troops back home as soon as possible. This left no option for the Shiites in Iraq to seek help and align themselves with Iran, while the Kurds captured the north, upsetting Turkey, which feared a revolt in its own Kurdish population. Thus, Saddam's Sunni Muslims took the middle dividing the country into three parts. Each part is supported by non-state actors to justify the ideology and their grip onto power. While the word thought that the war ended in 1991, through their proxies, these non-state actors continue to escalate tensions to keep the conflict going for an entire decade. The, we the week in the wake 
ceasefire agreement called Resolution 687 that ended the 1991 war. The first Gulf War stated that stated and agreed upon by both parties that Iraq and the UN inspectors would Iraq would let the UN inspectors into the country to search for weapons and allow coalition allies to enter to enforce a no no-fly zone over northern and southern Iraq. This was to protect the Kurdish minorities in the north and the Shiite minorities in the south. However, as conflict always goes, Iraq did not respect its ceasefire agreement. Iraq, for its part, accuses the UN inspectors of working undercover for the CIA, which is not really far-fetched. In 1998, Iraq banned the UN inspectors from entering the country, prompting airstrikes by the Allied forces in which was called Operation Desert Fox, largely forgotten as it was camouflaged by the media. Prior to this, there was Operation Desert Strike in 1996. All of this, no doubt, to back uh, all of this, no doubt, backed by Shia and Sunni non-state actors. Um, this for the Operation Desert Fox escalated into a larger war from the beginning of 1999 through August. The Allied forces also acted as agents for Gulf and Saudi clients, one must not forget. Thus, the Arab world strongly supported the actions of the U.S. and its allies all through the 80s and the 90s. The U.S. launched missiles at over 300 Iraqi targets. Iraqis retaliated by targeting Allied forces, radar, and missile targets. By August 2000, military planes, 19 naval ships, 22,000 military personnel were committed to enforcing this new no-fly zone at the cost of 1 billion US dollars per year. In 2003, these non-publicized conflicts between Iraq and the Allied forces supported by non-state actors in the Muslim world overflowed to an all-out second Gulf War. A military advance into Iraq by Allied forces, that which left a power vacuum. And this was then supported by the back door, through the back door by Iran, who wanted to put their, their men in power and by the fact of Iraq having a majority Shiite population. The other side, the, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, supported the war backed by highly trained, well-funded and indoctrinated militia which were a proxy for the Sunni Wahhabi ideological campaign, which in those days was aligned with the Muslim Brotherhood. Again, since these two countries cannot and will not attack each other on the battlefield, that is, Saudi Arabia and Iran, sending their proxies is the next best thing to do in to do uh, their backdoor work by blaming the West and their all-weather deflect and rule scapegoats the Zionists. In reality, therefore, the 1980 Iran-Iraq war never ended and caused utter chaos and destruction which lasts till today. These currents that form the waves of the present-day crisis. These historic fault lines within Islam were once again transferred into open state warfare with the launching of the U.S. State Department Qatari Muslim Brotherhood Islamic Holy War, better known as the Arab Spring 
of 2011. Reason, the largest known natural gas reservoir in the world sits in the middle of the Persian Gulf, part of which lies in the territorial waters of Qatar and part in Iran. The Iranian part is called North Pars. The Qatar side is called side of the Persian Gulf is called the North Field. The Qatari side forms the third largest reserves behind Russia and Iran. In 2009, at a forum in Turkey, the Syrian president unveiled an oil and natural gas pipeline strategy. Basically, it is a strategy that leverages its geographical position with its proximity to the Mediterranean Sea, the Caspian Sea, the Gulf and the Black Sea. So this strategy is to be a transit point or crossroads for oil and gas pipelines from the Middle East to the largest market in the world, the EU. To sell his idea, he makes several diplomatic missions to allied states that would be involved in his program. The Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Iran, Iraq, Qatar. These pipelines would go to Qatar, Saudi, to Jordan, Syria, Turkey and onwards to the EU. At the same time, there was another project to, con to construct an Islamic gas pipeline from Iran to Syria and directly to the Mediterranean Sea, um, and then onwards to the EU market. By understanding these natural gas, natural resources of natural, sorry, these resources of natural gas reserves in the entire Persian Gulf region, one will understand the reasons for the Saudi, Qatar, UAE, Turkey-led financing of billions of dollars to Assad's opposition, including the Sunni ISIS. For the moment, the major natural gas supply of natural gas to the EU is Russia. By backing the Arab state's pipeline, the dependence of the EU on Russia would weaken. The weakening of Russia and its capabilities would reduce its superstar status and its membership to the elite G8 club. It is an extension of the Cold War that never ended. Thus, the US backing of this Arab coalition pipeline is strategic. But in July 2011, the governments of Syria, Iran and Iraq signed a historic pipeline deal worth 10 billion, which would take three years to complete. This deal would make Syria the center of production and transportation of oil and gas in conjunction with neighborhood Lebanon, but would leave out the Gulf states. A little while later, in August 2011, Syria made an announcement that they discovered gas near homes. A major operator and investor would be Gazprom, Russia's leading oil and gas excavating company. Now the Americans were seeing red. Instead of stabbing Russia in the back through its proxies, the joke is on them. The refusal of Bashar al-Assad to build the pipeline involving countries like Qatar, Turkey, Jordan, and the subsequent signing of the Iraq-Iran-Syria deal would make this would, which would make a Shia a veritable powerhouse in the region. It would thereby sideline the traditional Sunni power bloc. This triggered a full-scale Saudi Qatari offensive to get rid of Assad. They who financed Al-Qaeda and other jihadi terrorists or insurgents to kill and destroy Assad and Alawite and other Shiite kufr. Thus, by doing so, the U.S. would cripple their permanent flow force in 
in Russia and also China, who struck deals with Iran for natural gas. The subsequent Iraq-Ukrainian crisis was also a proxy war by the Ukrainian opposition for a power grab and Obama power to cripple Russia, who uses Ukraine to transport natural gas to the EU market. Thousands of Sunni Islamists joined rebels such as Ahrar al-Sham, the Islamic Front, al-Nusra, an offshoot of al-Qaeda, uh, were involved, all of whom have been brainwashed by anti-Shia rhetoric in mosques and madrasas around the world. Similar numbers of Syrian Shias joined an Iranian-backed National Defense Force to fight for Assad and his agenda. This war was later joined by the U.S. to make sure that not only Assad lost out, but his pipeline with Russia uh, would never get off the ground. On to this stage comes ISIS, or Daesh, as it's known in the Middle East, a product of the Turkey, Qatar, Muslim Brotherhood, and later on, Obama-led American silence. Al-Qaeda in Iraq was all but destroyed by Iraqi Sunnis and the US-led military surge in 2006. After the Arab Spring in 2011 and the Syrian crisis, they found a void. They formed a movement called the Islamic State of State of Iraq and Syria, that's ISIS or ISIL. Um, that's the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant, um, and expanded into Sunni strongholds of Iraq and Syria in 2014. There was an ideological civil war within the group due to fighters on the ground using violence against civilians. This led to the breakup. Splinter groups were formed out of which we get rebranded version of the Islamic State in 2014. With Abu Bakr Baghdadi at, as the caliph, a shout out to the first caliph of Islam, Abu Bakr, from 632 AD. So this Islamic State took undertook state undertook widely promoted and publicized killings of non-Muslims and Muslim hostages, a reincarnation of the first Islamic State of Medina, which led to the campaign of airstrikes from US and her allies, Qatar, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE, better known as Operation in Inherent Resolve. If you're asking why Turkey is a supporter unofficially or al allegedly, along with its ideological twin, the Muslim Brotherhood, which it ve vehemently denies, take a closer look. Okay, Turkey is a modern state of the Ottoman Empire, the last Islamic cal empire that held cali the caliphate, the caliphate, and the power in the Islamic world. The Ottomans' empire occupied what is today called the country of Iraq. Back then, Iraq was a region made up of three provinces called Vilayets, which were Mosul Vilayet, the Baghdad Vilayet, and the Basra Vilayet. These provinces were handed over to the British under the League of Nations mandate and joined into one region called the State of Iraq. So Iraq, as we know today, did not exist pr um, prior to the um, Ottomans' uh, fall. Um, it was... The, it was a province, it was divided into three provinces under the Ottoman Empire. And after the Ottomans uh, lost, you know, the League of Nations through the British mandate formed the state of Iraq. At the fall of the Ottoman Empire, the Turks wanted to keep the Iraqi province of Mosul as part of the new Turkish Republic. 
The reasons were multiple. Oil in Mosul, and it was a trading capital of the Ottoman Empire. However, after the Armenian genocide of 1915, the Allies were not going to give Turkey anything. The modern state of Turkey lost the province of Mosul, which they never forgot. They would be back, and back with a vengeance they came. While the world was remembering the 100th anniversary of the Armenian genocide by the Turkish Ottoman Empire in its dying days, Turkey had made sure the world remembered their ancestors in another way. Exactly a hundred years later, in 2014, through the ISIS, which acted as their proxy, they were back in Moses, Mosul, leveraging their influence. They denied these allegations and pretended to be the ones who laid the foundations for destroying ISIS. But the actions spoke otherwise. Turkey's president, Erdogan, is the leader of the Justice and Development Party, a political party with links to the pan-Islamic ideology of the Muslim Brotherhood, that which it officially denies, but unofficially, it's a whole nother story, so this is alleged. Daesh, as they've known locally, just replaced the Armenian genocide for a new generation to fit. The labels have changed, but the mentality has not. This time on video camera as proof for the generations to come. In reality, who pays the price for all of this? The civilians on the ground. If you are tired of this chapter, imagine the people who live in this region. Besides the war, they were constantly brainwashed by their ideological and geopolitical groups. At the other end, you have Muhammad, the prophet rolling in his grave. He would not recognize this region. If you notice one common denominator in all these groups, it is the Muslim Brotherhood. The pan-Islamic ideology to reverse the history of mankind has served as a sort of neonatal incubator for some of the most notorious extremists of the world, Osama bin Laden, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, and Ayman al-Zawiri. Officially, they have no connection, but below the surface, the currents that form the waves are all the same. Their goal of an Islamic planet is the ultimate mission which they all adhere to through political coalitions and generational patience, otherwise called the Civilian Settlement Project or Immigration to Western World. One very important event that happened recently was the heinous murder of the Saudi Iranian Arabian journalist of Turkish descent, we have come to know as Jamal Khashoggi. His murder irked the entire planet, but his death was a result of the war mentioned above. I mentioned earlier in this chapter that there was more to this event than meets the eye. It will mark a generation, and for our civilization, well, it will never be the same. The, this event will change the Middle East forever. There will be a time before Jamal and a time after Jamal. It is very important to understand, however, both sides of this duality. Remember our friends, the Muslim Brotherhood? After they moved base to Saudi Arabia in the 50s and 60s, they joined forces with the Wahhabis and spurred on a dream to take over the Islamic empire to the four corners of the world. In the 1960s, 70s and 80s, in order to legitimize their hold on power, the Saud family had to keep the Wahhabi clerics happy. So their brand of Islam was put in schools and used in mosques. But the Muslim Brotherhood, along with their Wahhabi pals, misused the hospitality of the Saudis. 
Even though the Saudis gave them a second chance after Nasser, uh, the Egyptian president, banned them, they had no real love for the Saudi host. They only wanted Saudi oil money, and which their host realized too late. So the Wahhabi clerics and their brotherhood pals took advantage of the situation and indoctrinated the Saudi locals and congregations of this young nation with an archaic Islamic ideology and a holy war against the infidels. The Kufr, now known as Islamophobes. The Saudis from the king himself to the layman in society got more conservative. In order to protect their reputation and legitimacy, they even had to pretend they were people who in reality they were not it was a period that the modern generation greatly regrets their goal was through their mosque the goal was through their mosque to preach and convert region after region to islam with the ultimate goal of taking over the planet the brotherhood along with their wahhabi friends also shared the same islamic goal um used billions of Saudi and Qatari petrodollars to build hospitals, schools, educational institutions everywhere. Through their charity work, the Saudis, the Saudi petro wealth and the Palestinian cause as a proxy to legitimize their agenda just as they had done with the Iranians. They convinced the Islamic world to go back to true Islam as in the days of the beloved prophet where Islam was in power and Islam held sway over Africa, Asia, and parts of Europe. At the end of the day, it was all about power. This is where the Islamic hijab and the beard for men started coming back. A physical and visual representation of the ideological plantation where they made sure that their ummah was loyal to the brotherhood and their agenda. It was from this movement that we get the concept of Islamophobia, all to camouflage the negative reinforcement, fabricated victimhood and persecution and fake outrage to hold on to their human capital. Their goal is to rein in the youth and make sure they remain in an Islamic frame of mind, all of whom will be used at all times for the benefit of the Muslim Brotherhood and their ruling class. Their goal is to make sure that their congregations do not leave their ideological plantations, they who have ultimately given the Muslim Brotherhood totalitarian power. After all, what is a kingdom without a people? For now, the Brotherhood and kings are without a kingdom. By expressing their colonial fate, with a visual materialistic identity, they could keep an eye on the flock. This use thus is not a war with Islam, it's a war, sorry, the issue thus is not a war with Islam, the issue is a war within Islam. A war only to keep their flock from leaving their plantations, but from theft uh, of their multiple denominations, who are trying to steal each other's human capital. The goal of the Brotherhood was always to be in power, uh, nothing else. However, on the ground, they were not telling the Muslim electorate the same story. They were supposedly telling the Arab Gulf financiers, it would seem. The Saudis, who were too ignorant and lazy to go back into the f and do the fieldwork, which the Brotherhood and their legions of volunteers were only too happy to do. So while the petrodollar was paying to establish the Islamic imprint everywhere, on the ground, the Brotherhood and their allies have been mixing with the people and doing building and running of charities. 
However, they fostered a negative image of the Saudi Wahhabis and their wealth behind their backs. On the ground, they were co- they called the Saudis corrupt and coot. To the Saudis, they have maintained a deep friendship to foster their common goals. The congregations on the ground think that the Brotherhood have been doing all the, all the work and pontificated a hatred towards the Saudis. The Saudis did not see this two-faced onslaught coming, thinking that as custodians of the two holy sites in Islam, the finances of all new fancy Islamic infrastructure for the Ummah, they would become kings of the world one day. But the Brotherhood seems to have backstabbed them through their grassroots works in the Middle East and the Arab world, they came to power in Egypt and other Muslim countries in what is called the Arab Spring. Once in power, they did not need the Saudis anymore. The divide between the ideological brothers widened and caused a sort of schism. schism. The Brotherhood, along with Turkey, Qatar and their sister groups, have managed to bring almost the entire Islamic world on their side. The Saudis have been manipulated and used as a tool again after the rift with Iraq in the first Gulf War. So much for the Saudis. The problem is the interim. They also played the Saudis, sorry, the, the problem in the interim, they also played the Saudis against the Iranians, the Iranians against the Saudis. Now, the billions of petrodollars which they stole uh, from the Saudis have been wasted. And if they do not do anything within 15 years, it'll, Saudi Arabia will come to an absolute financial crisis. Uh, I have to add that they really betrayed the vision of their founder, King Abdulaziz bin Saud, the third ruler, King Faisal. So the tables are set. On one side, you have the Brotherhood and its sister organization, while on the other side, we have the Saudis. The Brotherhood have also formed alliances or rather bought out several Western governments to their lobbies. A situation is as such. The Brotherhood have their international Muslim community or Ummah on their side. So they have numbers as in Muslims who have been brainwashed for two or three generations now. These Muslims are on their side and if they even if they don't know it they all think that they are praying to god in reality the sermons and lectures to them is through the direct hand and content of the muslim brotherhood these muslims contribute to the muslim brotherhood bank accounts through donations zakat charities halal food products and purchase of islamic literature and other material this is besides the money that they receive from the they received from the wahhabis for decades it is precisely this money that has brought the Western left and leftist governments out. It is precisely uh, the left-leaning governments of the world which are an all about unaccountable feudal power. The right-wing leading political parties have their own establishments too. Silence, submission, distortion of knowledge, withholding of information and isolation of the elaborate of the electorate to work as cheap labor in is the calling card for both swamps. But there is only so long that one can keep a human being subjugated. Even slavery has a shelf life. The electorate has woken up and are leaving the plantation. The aging Western populations have woken up to the lies of the Islamic establishments, that which they have been told for decades and centuries. They are no longer buying their feudal globalist lies, which have left them in a modern-day serfdom. Living from one paycheck to paycheck while the globalists get richer by the day.
The establishment of the West, right or left, know that they have to fill the void and maintain their wolf bank plantations. If not, they will lose power. An educated and knowledgeable electorate is difficult to govern and to subjugate. So replace them slowly as they advocate a new ideology of multiculturalism, fake diversity, even though it's a 180 degree turn from the holier-than-thou doctrine which they previously used for centuries. The flow of immigrants and refugees, especially those who are traumatized by war, weak and ignorant, uh, are gullible, are the perfect match for the West is looking for. Who has the biggest bank of gullible people to sell and move around? Yes, you guessed it. The colonial empire of Islam. All of which is controlled by the very clever Muslim Brotherhood and their allies. By allowing the Islamic flock to come to Western nations, the establishment, especially on the left, are assured of a generational voting bloc, all indoctrinated uh, with victimhood and perfect Western Zionist Jewish persecution for centuries. The Brotherhood and their allies are happy as their lobbying has allowed Western governments to open their doors to millions of refugees, illegal immigrants and migrant workers. Their aging populations in the Western world have been used as near slaves for generations, working as cheap labor to fill the pockets of the Western elite. They refuse to increase salaries, uh, their establishments have no use for their aging capital, uh, human capital, who have been overused. So they need a new labor force to be the next generation of slaves. While the native-born populations demand high salaries for jobs uh, needed to be done, the immigrants will be satisfied with low-wage salaries and therefore more useful to the political elite. After a while, even a sponge overused gets worn out and has to be thrown out. There's only so much you can use your human capital for. In order to fill this void, while not saying why this void is filled specifically with migrants and refugees from the Islamic world, they bring in the famous multicultural card, the secularism card, and if it does not work, they use the Islamophobic card or the Kufr card. Well, let me be straightforward. It serves three purposes on the Western side. The governments get paid for this by the Muslim Brotherhood. Two, uh, three or four generations of assured voting on the multiculturalism. Uh, for the Muslim Brotherhood side, it fulfills the agenda of a civilization jihadist process with all the word means. The Ikhwan must be understood that their work in America is to is a kind of a grand jihad in eliminating and destroying the Western civilization from within and sabotaging its miserable house off by their hands and the hands of the believers so that it's eliminated and God's religion is made victorious over all other religions. The migrants of or Muslims on the ground have been brainwashed to hate the Western civilization and any non-Muslims. They insist on the society adjusting to them and not confirming uh, sticking to their own culture, not in 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 integrating and causing chaos, which will eventually give Islam and their pan-Islamic handlers totalitarian power one day. Once they take over places like USA, Europe and the Indian subcontinent, they will eventually take over the Middle East. Of course, cycle of civilization will come full circle. Somewhere in between, it will all come crashing down. 
no different than what happened in Shiran and now happening in Saudi Arabia. They are both getting a taste of their own medicine, unfortunately. So where does Jamal Khashoggi fit into all of this? In the U.S., the left is represented by the Democratic Party of Canada, of America, of America, and in America and in Canada by the Liberals, in the U.K. by the Labour, and various left-leading political parties in the rest of Europe. You see, all of them are taking in Islamic refugees and migrants. You also see them working in hand um, with ISNA in North America and the IFE, the Islamic Forum of Europe, in Europe. However, on the right, you have the Republicans in the U.S. who side with the Saudis. The Democrats have to let the Im- these immigrants in by the thousands if they want to repl- replenish their voting base. Same as the Liberals in Canada and the Labour in the U.K. All of this as soon as possible to avoid conservatives in their own respective countries from taking over. In order to do this, they have to show that the Muslims who want to let in who they want to let into Western countries are being really persecuted by bad Islamic extremists, all controlled by the Wahhabis in Saudi Arabia. The real bad boys in the soup. So they have to show Muslims are real in real need of help, and so they have to s- sort of step on the pedal to help a little bit. Oh my God, you know how the saying goes. Democrats have thus have to serve up a negative image and reputation of the Saudis to garner support. They all knew the Saudis would never know what hit them. So on July 14, 2015, the Iranian nuclear deal or the Joint Comprehensive, Comprehensive Nuclear Plan of Action was signed. If you are asking why, well, Iran, a former four of the United States, has made its peace with the new handlers of the Democratic Party, the Muslim Brotherhood. Even though their doctrines are on the opposite side of the spectrum, they share a pan-Islamic goal. Um, make their shared pan-Islamic goals make them strange bedfellows, at least for now. Uh, it would seem that it is the Muslim Brotherhood, the handlers of the Democratic Party of America, who bought Iran and the U.S. together during the tenure of Barack Obama. The nuclear deal between the former foes was reached in July of 2015, alarming a long-time enemy of Iran, that is the Saudis. The Saudis, who for a long time accused their southern neighbors, that is Yemen and its Houthi part of the population, as being backed by the Iranians. Besides this fact, the Iranians flood the market with their oil, If the Iranians flood the market with their oil, the prices of Saudi natural resources, a source of the budget would go down, causing only problems. This was really not appreciated. The Saudis, backed by their Gulf Arab friends, found a way to send a message to Iran by invading Yemen in around the same time of the Iranian nuclear deal, that is March 2015. A war that Obama closed his eyes on, including the Muslim Brotherhood, who waited in the wings to kill reason the entire Muslim world would have a prime time view of the extreme narcissism of the Wahhabis, indoctrinated Saudis and the extreme version of Islam. Which was and is also propagated by the Brotherhood as they use the Saudi petrodollar to run their underground business. So the Saudis were allowed to make the mistakes in plain daylight without the American all-weather foes led by Barack Obama and their new Muslim Brotherhood friends interfering. The Muslim Brotherhood 
would come out on top of all of this, seen as the tolerant brand of Islam and the sure caliphs of the future. The Democrats would use them perfectly, this to bring in thousands and perhaps millions of Muslims refugees from all over the Islamic world, even if they were not affected by war. All they cared about was their next generation of vote-bang slave. slaves. Just one problem. Donald Trump. They never in their wildest dreams expected him to win the elections in 2016. All this means that their plans have to have taken a back seat until Trump is either removed from office or he loses in 2020. Which he did. I'm not going to say how, but we all know the story. Either that or they have to wait for 2024. Until that time, they have to show Trump in a negative light and foster an image which suits the Democratic return to power. Okay. Uh, uh, just for a footnote here, I wrote this piece before 2020. So uh, that's why you see dates from, from prior 2020. We are now 2022, but uh, just a footnote. Russian collusion, fake impeachment, a ridiculous Green Deal to counter the planet's crumbling in 12 years, for example. If you want to know why they are in a hurry, let's just say the first country to be affected by this deal is Saudi Arabia, a country where the small shift in oil prices will lead to an internal revolt and a collapse of the House of Saud. Guess who will take over? The second country that will be affected is Canada or more specifically, the province of Alberta. A province that the now the current Prime Minister of Canada absolutely despises. A Prime Minister who has handled who is handled by the Muslim Brotherhood. Hence the hurry to implement the Green Deal is out there for everyone to see. His liberals will never win the Prime Minister, the Canadian Prime Minister's Liberals will never win in Alberta. So to destroy the province would be a wet dream come liberal orgasm. Now Trump does not have any choice but to back the Saudis and he has to protect America's national interest. By showing him as a personal ally of the Saudis while the Muslim Brotherhood was underhandling King Salman and the heir to the throne, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, they would turn public opinion away from Trump and hopefully garner the American votes to vote Democrat in 2020, which they did. After which, they will they open the floodgates to a new generation of gullible and traumatized Muslims, the future of the Islamic states of America and Democratic vote bank for the next 200 years or maybe more. The best man for this job was Jamal Khashoggi, a Saudi citizen but affiliated to the Muslim Brotherhood since its youth, his youth. Although he seems Although he seems um, to have mellowed in his interview he, uh, in his later years, he mentioned being a proud Saudi, one who was pro-monarchy and favor of its new 2030 agenda for a modern Saudi state put forward by the Crown Prince MBS. However, he was not in favor of the Yemen war. Well, as an elder statesman himself, do you think by just having an opinion, the mindset of the Saudi Wahhabis will change in a fortnight? They have been indoctrinated now for 70 years. 
nothing is going to change tomorrow, especially few articles written by dissident journalists in the newspapers. Khashoggi, if he was really interested in peace, he, he, who was formerly a part of the Saudi establishment, could have sat down with MBS, had a word with the crown prince about the past and a future where they could both work together. He did not. Instead, he poked at and taunted the Saudi kingdom, knowing full well that they would be, that they would be out to get him. The Brotherhood would have been pushing him forward from the other end to use him and his knowledge of internal affairs of the Saudi establishment to bring down the monarchy, create chaos and take the country and its vast oil wealth. In the bargain, they would send millions of refugees running to the West and would eventually destroy Israel and establish a full-fledged Palestinian state. When Khashoggi walked into that consulate, he knew what awaited him. The same fate as the Muslim Brotherhood had reserved for the Saudi family and their government. Karma, however, came back to get him. On the other hand, the Brotherhood knew this was, would be coming as taunting the Saudis would only get you so far. Instead, they would have wanted this outcry from the planet as a whole to win the emotional war and show themselves as the persecuted victims of the world and, of course, the Saudis. They basically used Jamal Khashoggi to plow their agenda. Since the Saudis are backed by America, led by Donald Trump, the Trump takes the fall. They are both seen as villains and the Brotherhood gets off the hook until the next U.S. presidential elections, where the floodgates will open. This is also why the Democrats have developed an anti-Israel and anti-Semitic stance. You see, the Second World War, after the Second World War, when taking in Jewish refugees meant accessing their vote banks and their financial bank accounts for the next 50 years. Condemning anti-Semitism made political sense. Now times have changed. African Americans and Latinos are no longer voting Democratic. Thus the Democrats need more than just a few Jews to fill the void. The Islamic establishment have larger congregations and can serve the democratic purpose a lot more. Their establishment also has plenty of money, a huge PR machine, and in the mainstream media, which has been bought out. So out goes the anti-Semitism, or should I say, out goes Israel, in comes the Muslim, the Islamophobia, the victimhood, the persecution, and all... The, we are the saviors and the only true heroes of the Muslims. In, in comes another handler comes Linda, called Linda Sarsour, the poster child of Isna and the Brotherhood in North America, all supported by the new Democratic Party ally under President Barack Obama. Geopolitics at its best. Finally, for the icing on the cake, if... You need any more proof, that is. Our Canadian Prime Minister, or former part-time drama teacher, as he's known in Canada, will bend over backwards to give it to you. Shortly before Khashoggi's passing away, our Right Honourable Saint of Cannabis made a public statement condemning Saudi Arabia for its human rights record and imprisonment of its blogger Raif Badawi. It seemed out of place, as the Canadian Prime Minister had not done much for Badawi's cause since he came in office. I don't even think he knew who Badawi was. Why was he on the move now? Well, in my opinion, Isna lobbyists have bought out the Canadian Prime Minister's loyalty and are his new handlers. He 
he does not want, he does what they want. So by making a public statement before the 2019 elections would not have hurt at all and rake up some heat on the Muslim Brotherhood's former ally. Now enemies. The Saudis known have known that the Brotherhood are the Prime Minister's handlers, that is, he is their proxy to get back into the kingdom. That is why the Saudis went hard, hard on Canada, if anyone remembers. Forcing, forcing Canada to call back its ambassador, calling all Saudi expats back from Canada, bringing trade to a near standstill with us. Not normal relations for an ally, especially who signed an arms deal in 2014 under the Harper government. However, the current Liberal Prime Minister came to office ever since the current Liberal Prime Minister came to office. That $15, $15 billion deal has been shrinking, and now it's now with the new TIF, it's scaled back even more. The extreme actions were in reality to send a message to the Prime Minister's handlers don't mess with us, we know you are behind this. For all the big talk, no nation came to Canada's help as they knew what was going on behind the scenes. The real war was between the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and the Muslim Brotherhood. And our cannabis prime minister was just a proxy. As of on cue, a short while later, events with Jamal Khashoggi transpired to throw the ball back in the Saudi court and send them a warning. All of a sudden, the Canadian Prime Minister seemed like a hero in I told you so land. From nowhere, he gets access to a tape recording of Khashoggi's final moments. How, may I ask, is Muslim Brotherhood handlers who were behind all of this, obviously? What he did not say was that his handlers, that's the Muslim Brotherhood and Turkey, who, are, who had all the intelligence tapes. They would be have been recording Khashoggi before he walked into that concert. Turkey has some of the best intelligence services in the world. They were recording the events all along. You better believe it. I don't have proof, but come on, they're the best, some of the best in the world. Uh, what do you think? You think they were not falling, Jamal, or they did not know what the Saudis are up to on their territory, or even on Saudi territory? Yes, this was a staged event, where Jamal Khashoggi was used as a bait to drive an ancient, bloodthirsty tribal agenda. Remember that the territory of modern-day Saudi Arabia was once a colony of the Ottoman Empire. Erdogan has no respect for the Arabs, especially the Saudis. He still thinks he owns them and is superior to the Arabs. He, who wants to revive the Ottoman Empire and self-appoint himself as... Um... Osman 2.0. Duality, like I always say. Uh, the labels have changed, but the mentality has not. It's not the label that defines the mentality. It's the mentality that defines the label. Nothing will ever change in this land unless one understands the science behind the currents that produces the waves. Until, we, until then, uh, or until we give up the the groups like Muhammad mentioned 1400 years ago.
So with that, I'll leave you on the Middle East. I thank you for your time. I hope you've taken a lot of notes. You can go back on this and, and verify, research it. Talk to your friends, talk to your neighbors, and spread the message, spread the history, and so that we can all have a discussion together. Understand the currents that form the waves on the Indian subcontinent, because these people have allies on the continent, uh, and they're the ones causing the havoc that we have uh, right now. Um, so thank you once again. I hope you have a great time. Uh, stay safe until we meet again.